Hi friends, welcome back. My guest today is Andrew Doyle, comedian, writer, and moonlighting as Titani McGrath. He joined us in late 2019 for some clairvoyant prophecy where everything that he claimed was going to happen has now come true in 2020. So today expect to learn whether we need to decolonize Mars, who Andrew thinks will win the 2020 election, why whiteness is a problematic term, what's happened with gay activism, whether creating a slave-themed workout routine is a clever idea, and much more. Andrew is a big friend of the show. I really enjoy speaking to him. He has a wealth of understanding that helps to dissect what's going on politically and in pop culture at the moment. And yeah, I, uh, I look forward to finally being able to sit down with him properly face-to-face. But for now, Skype will do as he's enjoying his time in the Amalfi Coast. Don't forget, if you are enjoying the audio version of this podcast, everything is available in video too. You can see the face of me and the face of the guest that I'm speaking to in all of its high definition beauty over at the Modern Wisdom YouTube channel. Just search Modern Wisdom and it will come up. Hit the subscribe button as it would make me very happy. But if you just want to stay listening, that's fine as well. I'm not discriminating. I just want to get two subs out of you, you know, so go hit the button if you have time. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite, and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. But for now it's time for the wise and wonderful Andrew Doyle. Lovely to be back. It's been a while. How long has it been? More than a year. I Just think. over a year. You were Just en route from London to the Fringe, dropped in for a quick coffee. and then... That's right. That's right. Yeah. It was fun. It was it good. Was... But none of that None of that anymore. That's not how the world works now. No. It's all remote. It is. You're, you're on, uh, on holiday at the moment. Somewhere nice. Well, I'm, I'm not really. I'm working. I'm on the Amalfi Coast. Uh, I'm staying in a small town uh, halfway between Positano and Amalfi. And I'm... I spent the day in Capri the other day, so it sound, and I've been to Pompeii, so it sounds like I'm having a good time. But I am here to work, and so for the rest of the week, I'm, I'm not going to leave the flat. I'm just going to sit here and write, because I can't work at home. Too many distractions. You're reading but some I norm- future I normally classics, go away I'm sure. to, um, No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm working on a new book, and because the last two books I wrote, I wrote in Sark, the Isle of Sark, but I can't get there because of the quarantine rules. So I had to come to Italy. So, uh, you know, it's fine. Yeah, It's a, real it's a tough life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's good. I mean, I've got the space I need just to focus on stuff. I like it. So what have been yeah. the major developments in the woke world this year? I mean, where do you begin? Uh, it, it has exploded. When, when I last spoke to you, uh, I was often accused of uh, exaggerating the problem. And people would say, well, you know, you're just complaining about the behavior of a few rogue students here and there on university campuses or a few nutcases on the Internet. Um, and well, I've, I've been proven right, haven't I? Because now it's not that. It's demonstrably not that. The evidence of everything I've been writing about and talking about for the past five years is absolutely everywhere. It's incontrovertible. And if that sounds arrogant, so be it. But there you go. The I told profit, you so. The profit has arrived. I, I fucking told you so and you did nothing. <laughs> and you attacked me. You just attacked me. I am Cassandra. You didn't believe my warnings. And here we are. You know, had you heeded my prophecies perhaps this could have been evaded so other than but you no, being one of not. the one of the four horsemen where where yeah. is the world of if if there's trends if there was like a trending in the world of woke sort of where's it gone this year 
Yeah, so it's been a kind of uh, just a concatenation of unfortunate circumstances. You know, we had the uh, obviously the pandemic and the lockdown and this created this kind of tension and this kind of um, this sense of frustration. It meant a lot of people were spending more time on the Internet uh, rather than the real world, which means that they have a skewed perspective of how things are going. And and then all of a sudden it explodes uh, because of the death of George Floyd. So there's this, you know, what starts out as very important, uh, legitimate protests against police brutality. I'm personally very uh, nervous about any kind of overreach of the state, as you know, because you know you know about my work. So I, I do believe instances like that do require rigorous response and rigorous protest. Um, but very quickly, it became quite clear that this wasn't about George Floyd anymore. It was about this whole host of other issues. And it was actually more a kind of catalyst for the culture war to explode into the mainstream, which is exactly what happened. And then you have all major corporations, all major businesses, civic institutions, uh, schools, universities, absolutely everyone in lockstep over uh, basically issues they don't fully understand. You know, I mean, when the BBC, for instance, um, and Sainsbury's as of this week, uh, telling their employees to read White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, which is a book which is, uh, I suppose, the most popular example of, of, of critical race theory that we have at the moment, but it is a very... Um, a very shoddy uh, piece of work, um, which has been widely discredited and 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 doesn't have the kind of academic respectability. Once you move beyond that sort of niche of of the the kind of postmodern offshoots, such as uh, you know uh, critical race theory, disability studies, fat studies, gender studies, intersectional feminism. Once you go beyond all that, people don't take Robin D'Angelo very seriously. Uh, businesses do, corporations do. They pay her thousands of dollars to go in and shout at their white employees and tell them how racist they all are. But it's such a dangerous, divisive, backward philosophy of life. It's the, it's the idea that you divide us into oppressed and oppressor, irrespective of our personal circumstances. And you 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 know it, it's racist in every way it is possible to be racist. It, it, you know it degrades people of color by telling them that they're always going to be victims, that they never they will never uh, achieve anything that they deserve to achieve. And it's racist against white people because it tells them that they are uh, oppressive and racist. And in particular, Robert D'Angelo, who will claim that if you deny your complicity in white supremacy, that just proves you're a white supremacist, right? So this. It's it's absolutely appalling and abysmal. And of course, because she used the phrase and, and uh, well, people of that ilk use the phrase anti-racism to describe what they're doing. If you complain about anti-racism or make the case that anti-racism is a bad thing, it sounds like you're saying that you are for racism. And of course, the reason for opposing anti-racism is if you are concerned about actual racism. That's the problem. So this gets very complicated. There's this whole lexicon you sort of have to you have to master before you can get anywhere. It also makes people rightly nervous. They understand that, you know. Most people are, are concerned about uh, the anti-racism in terms of unconscious bias training, implicit bias training, dividing people up. I mean, Sainsbury's literally created an online safe space for their black employees. I mean, how patronizing is that? Um, so people are nervous about this but they don't want to be seen to be opposed to anti-racism. It's a very clever phrase that they use. But what people have to understand is that anti-racism is a rehabilitated form of racialized thinking. In other words, it is a form of racism. And if you really care about combating racism, as I do, then you will oppose anti-racism. And you'll go back to the liberal approach, uh, the liberal approach to combating racism. And the reason why that's a good thing is we've got the past six decades of progress which prove that it works. And sure, it hasn't achieved a complete utopia where racism doesn't exist that will never happen because we live in a society of human beings and there's always going to be some nasty pieces of work amongst us right but the best the absolute best way as has been proven by recent history is the liberal approach is that you would tackle racism rigorously whenever it occurs what you don't do is create this faith-based philosophy where there are nebulous power structures that only people like robin d'angelo are qualified to detect and therefore you implement policy on that basis in the government in the arts in education in the media absolutely everywhere and then you're solving problems that may or may not exist on the basis of this this deity that you've created. That's not the way to go about this. And we know this is the case. So people who do believe in those liberal values, those decent values of equality and fairness and and looking out for people and ensuring that people aren't uh, mistreated in society and discriminated against. Those are the people who need to advance the liberal uh, agenda, the social liberalism that has served us so well for so long uh, that is now being utterly demolished before our eyes. It seems or it feels a little bit like, you know, the God of the gaps theory. This yeah. is kind of like yeah. the racism of the gaps theory. The, yes, the, raci right. racism is the set point. And that is the elephant in the room with regards to the anti-racism movement, that it 
inherently further entrenches and splits us up into groups based on race, as opposed to the Sam Harris proposal, which is a world where the color of someone's skin would be as important as the color of someone's hair. And we don't care that there's, yeah. there's, there's not enough gingers that are CEOs yeah. or br brunettes that are working on the, the machine line or whatever it might be. Um, one thing I've noticed this year, race really has sort of come to the forefront. What's happened with the gays this year? Is gay activism still alive and well? The gays are uh, the new white man, aren't they? I, I think that people are quite down on the gays at the moment. And there's all sorts of things that you've just kind of touched on, which are quite difficult to unpack. I mean, you you were alluding to the, the, the ideal of colour blindness, which is, of course, the ideal, the liberal ideal, which is that, as you say, the ginger hair analogy works well, because we it doesn't mean that you don't see race. It means that you don't uh, care. care. You don't care. You don't you don't treat people differently on it on on the, on the on the basis of skin color, which is actually a beautiful uh, ideal that we should all be striving. That's how that's what we used to teach children. And all of a sudden, over the past six months, suddenly all of that needs to be unpicked and unpacked and re and 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 revised based on this very reactionary agenda. I think that's absolutely uh, heartbreaking and genuinely uh, tragic. And yes, reactionary and regressive. Regressive. It's taking us right back. Um, and that's the thing. You don't need. You know, we've. Can anyone seriously, hand on heart, say that what has happened this year has not inflamed racial tension and made it worse and and basically made our society more racist as opposed to less racist? I mean, can anyone seriously say that with a straight face? Uh, I don't believe they can. Um, so that's why we do need to do something about it. Uh, in terms of gays. Where are the gays, okay. Andrew? Where, where have all are of the gays, gays gone? So the, 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 that's a different issue. The problem with the gay issue now is that we have, uh, there is a kind of, fission within the lgbtqia plus community right so even using the phrase makes me laugh i think we need to totally just abolish it and move on because the truth is uh the, let's take stonewall stonewall which is the, the sort of major charity for gay people in the uk which has done some incredible work over the years and has now changed its entire philosophy about sexuality and it, and it, and, and it believes for instance that gay men are it's redefined it not homosexuality is no longer same sex attraction it is same gender attraction but of course gay men are not attracted to uh, uh people who identify as men they are attracted to people who have the bodies of men right and that's actually quite a fundamental distinction a lesbian is not going to uh be attracted to someone with a penis simply because that person with a penis identifies as female and because that person says that well it's a female penis that's not because we're dealing with people's biological uh, inclinations, sexual inclinations. It's quite deeply rooted, shall we say. Um, so when Stonewall effectively adopt a homophobic policy, right? And I use that word uh, with caution insofar as I don't think the people at Stonewall are homophobic, but I think their new philosophy is underpinned by homophobia in much the same way that I don't think fourth wave feminists are misogynists but their philosophy is underpinned by a misogynistic idea that women are weak, inherently weak, and always victims and need protection, right? So it's perfectly possible uh, to, to, for this to happen, as we have seen. So Stonewall now uh, are obsessed with the, the trans issue. I mean, they're right to be uh, concerned whenever a trans person is discriminated against, right? That is something, again, we go back to the liberal standard, which is that uh, everyone should have equal rights, irrespective of who they are or how they identify. The liberal perspective is that you should be able to call yourself whatever you want. You should be able to do whatever you want to your body. Uh, you should you should have those. And, and of course, um, trans people have every right to, to be treated exactly the same as everyone else. What they don't have the right to do is to force other people to use the language that they want them to use. And that's really the sticking point. Um, and there is this, of course, uh, conflict of rights now between feminists who, for the most part, particularly second wave feminists and thereafter, believed in the idea of gender being a social construct. Um, and of course, the trans movement, particularly the militant trans activists, believe that uh, gender is, a, a they have a biological essentialist view, which is why you get this idea of being born in the wrong body. So you get this fundamental contradiction. You also have feminists who are concerned about single sex spaces, uh, such as domestic violence refuge centers, for instance, or prisons, uh, which is a legitimate concern to have. Uh, and they they do not believe um, that biological sex is, is, is a fantasy. Um, they, you know, and, and as Blair White, the trans writer in America has pointed out, if there's no such thing as biological sex, there's no such thing as trans people. So all of this is going on. Uh, so you've got uh, lesbians and gay men uh, who are being pitted against trans activists. And it's not really fair because the majority of trans people 
uh, don't have these views. This is just this is a minority of activists who, for some reason, are able to sway Stonewall's entire policy and thinking on this. And and Stonewall, in fact, has has completely stopped listening to gay people and is completely uh, uh, and feminists and completely overall their viewpoint. I'm not suggesting that any particular person uh, should just be deemed to be correct in this. I think we need to have a debate, right? I'm perfectly willing to be challenged on anything that I've said. And for people to say I'm wrong, I, I almost certainly am wrong about a number of things. That, it's got to be the case, right? So having, having the discussion is important. But when you have someone just charging in and saying trans women are women, well, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, what do you mean by woman? What does woman mean by your definition? What if I don't share your definition of, of woman? Uh, what if I think that um, uh, sex is uh, biologically ingrained and that you are fundamentally incapable of changing that however you can uh, identify and you're free to identify however you want, which, is, by the way, is what an awful lot of trans people believe, right? According to this new rubric, a lot of trans people are, are very transphobic and that's going to be very complicated. <laughs> So what, what do you do? Gay men are not gay men, gay women. Uh, it's so they're, they're lower down on the, the pecking now. order. Yeah. So so because of intersectionality, which effectively I know the original intention wasn't this, but what it has morphed into is a kind of exactly that. Yeah, a kind of uh, a hierarchy of grievance, and gay people are dropping down the charts all the time. Is there any further for them to go? Oh, relegated to the Vauxhall Conference, mate. You know. <laughs> uh, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what that means, really. Yeah. I just heard um, a man in a pub say it once. No, the reason I, I <laughs> the reason I use that is because when I was at school, uh, it was because so, I'm I was never a gender conforming kid, and so I didn't like the stuff that the boys liked, and I wasn't into football, and everyone was so into football, I had to pretend that I'd supported a team, and I chose uh, Yeovil Town um, <laughs> so that I had something to say. Um, and apparently they got relegated to the Vauxhall Conference. And I've always remembered that phrase. I don't even know if the Vauxhall Conference is still a thing. I don't think it is, but you've managed to right. pull out a like couple of decade old reference that's still in there. It's still in oh, there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's very traumatic and scary. You know, if you're a boy at school, at your primary school, and you're secretly doing ballet in the evenings and you're you're having nightmares about them seeing you in your tights uh, and 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 you're getting bullied at school and and you're not considered very masculine and traditionally masculine uh yeah those things stick i think, Mate, I, I, think I, I played thing. cricket in a state school in stockton sub sub area of uh teesside middlesbrough whose yeah. claim to fame up until recently was only that it had the highest teen pregnancy rate in the uk uh, and I, I was playing cricket which which was like just the the bourgeois arrow over the top of your head for uh th this guy needs a kick in um, oh, yeah. cricket cricket is basically pg woodhouse and that kind precisely, of quick quintessential old school englishness and etonian kind of yeah, yeah. That's, wanky that's very wa very very wanky yeah. um, did you see the campaign to decolonize mars uh i didn't what to well it hasn't been colonized yet has it let me let me lay let me lay this one out for you. Okay, okay I haven't come across this one. Decolonizemars.org, an unconference on Mars. Decolonizing okay. Mars, an unconference on inclusion and equity in space exploration, will bring together a diverse group of individuals working at the intersection of astrobiology, anthropology, social justice, and space space exploration. The format of the event will feature a discussion as its primary objective. While there will be time for brief presentations, a significant fraction of the program will be devoted to group discussion around pressing themes which will be determined by the symposium participants themselves. The term decolonizing, uh, de decolonization refers to the undoing of the legacy of colonialism. Many people are used to hearing about colonizing Mars to talk about humanity living in space. Here, we examine how using a colonialist framework in space reproduces past harm from humanity's history on Earth. This event is about envisioning fresh pathways for thinking about space exploration by stepping away from the ways we usually talk about space, which is, by definition, decolonizing the topic, hence decolonizing Mars. And as you've quite rightly identified and James Lindsay brought up, there is an entire conference dedicated to decolonizing a planet that hasn't been colonized yet. Are you sure this isn't a joke? I'm just I'm just putting that out there. It I, seems I, well I mean that is that not the subtitle to almost everything that's happened this year. Th th this is the problem now is that I whenever I see an article like this or something I have to verify it. Do you wonder it's sometimes very, very... if you wrote it? Yeah, exactly. Maybe if I you've trolled yourself. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's so on the face of it, just insane. And it's, you want to be, I mean, I, I've, I've always been banging on about, you know, how I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to be respectful to all opinions and I want to be able to discuss them. But some, the, the problem with this social justice ideology is, is it is at heart so infantile that it's, 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 it's very difficult not to start sounding like you're throwing out homonyms, you know, once you start, but it, it just is. This isn't how adults who are educated well, well should let, behave. Let's not forget as well, we're not talking about you, you if you want to have the those conferences that happen in Portland where everyone calls each other comrade and uh, fine, has a point yeah. of personal privilege that's fine no 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 this is fucking space right yeah, there's yeah. no that we with the, there's you know it's a vacuum out there it's really really scary and dangerous and mars is far away i don't what the the astronauts that are going over there there should not be an inclusivity officer on board no the first well, uh, shuttle you know, to Mars. It. Once they've decolonized maths and science and, and engineering, and then they can build the rocket that goes to Mars, I'm not going to be on, on that rocket, I tell you, because it's not going to get very far. <laughs> and, you know, if they're obsessed with this stuff, I mean, I hope, I hope we do meet an alien race because, because, because these people, their first concern is going to be about whether the alien race is sufficiently inclusive and diverse. <laughs> and, uh, and they'll just shoot them, won't they, with their laser guns, and that'll be the end of that, and that'll be fine. And we'll that's, be... that's what we need. We need a fucking invasion, don't we? I, I just... <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what else to do. I am. I'm kind of because I'm writing about it at the moment. I'm writing a book about it as well, and I just it's reminding me of all the stuff that's going on. And I'm trying to. Well, I have been for the past five years trying to get into the head of these people. And 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 there comes a point when you realise it is just a fundamentalist religion. That's what it is. And therefore, you, you know, it's like trying to pick apart any kind of rigorous theology. You know, it it, it you. It, it ultimately you come you you hit that brick wall you know where ultimately you just want to say but actually i don't believe there is a a, a multi-headed hydra i just don't you know I, so i'm not, I'm not going to accept the premise from which we build your entire esoteric religion that you know i'm just not going to do that and that's what we're dealing with here and it is a worry and i don't know what the solution i think we need to we need to reinstate as I said liberal but we also need to reinstate liberal education people need to learn things again you know um these people have been failed by education, I believe, and I, I don't, I don't know what, what to do about it. I, I'm concerned, and I brought this up with Douglas Tom. when he was on the show. My concern is that the smartest minds of our generation are being, are having their mental ram taken up, trying to argue the fact that men and women are different. And yeah. if the great filter exists, which is a theory put forward by Robin Hansen that explains the f answer to the Fermi paradox, why are there no aliens out there? There is a particular barrier that all uh, civilizations need to get over. Perhaps it's not uh, do having aggressive global warming. Perhaps it's um, having correctly controlled and aligned artificial general intelligence. Perhaps it's yeah. you know, any, any one of a number of other things. Like if that great filter exists and the reason that we don't get past it is because we're playing these childish like absolutely infantile games of yeah. your hierarchy versus my hierarchy and i'm going to do moral grandstanding because it's a stateless signaler and blah 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 like we don't deserve to colonize the galaxy well the, the problem is though it's, it's it's such a small i think we do deserve it. it's a, it's a small minority of people who've just taken over academia i mean that's really all it is and 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 people go away to universities and they are pumped full of this stuff which is stupid just stupid i mean the, the number of the arguments i've seen on twitter and it's it's blue checked academics saying the most ignorant stupid things and you just think well those are considered the most educated people in the world aren't they and that that's you know and yet normal people know that they're full of shit and that's a worry <laughs> that's a worry isn't it i i don't know and I don't want to sound conspiratorial, and I know that the, this idea of the long march through the institutions, the Gramsci idea, is, is, is kind of considered to be conspiratorial. But, um, well, certainly it wasn't from the from the outset. I mean, there were people, there were neo-Marxists who were concerned about the failure of Marxism uh, to, to stir up a revolution. And they wanted to know why. And they believed that the way to do it would be through this kind of inch meal approach where you do infiltrate the church, say, universities, the major institutions. Um, so there was that blueprint in place there was an attempt and 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 that's not conspiratorial because they were so open about those intentions you know they've they wrote about those intentions and um and it did happen however i think largely 
it happened by accident. More than anything, I think it happened by accident. I just think those sort of uh, original thinkers of the Frankfurt School, you know, the Horkheimers and the Adornos and the and the and and the and and the French postmodernists of the 1970s who were coming from a different branch, but they have these sort of overlapping concerns. They just took hold, and I think it happened by accident more than anything else. But it just it just took hold, and I mean, certainly when I was studying at university. Uh, that sort of Foucauldian idea of the world, you know, uh, the power structures that we now hear about all the time. It was just completely compulsory that, that this was just taken as a given. And then it went out of fashion, weirdly. Um, so this obsession that we now have with language, I mean, you know that social justice activists, they're all obsessed with language and policing language. And you mustn't say this. And the reason they think that is because they think that reality is created by language. Effectively, if you can police language, the world becomes better and, you, and, and people think in the right way, you know. But all of that stems from this this postmodern overemphasis on, on, on language. It's why the postmodernists had no clue about the visual arts. They were totally ill-equipped to assess the visual arts, right? They couldn't do it because they, they, they just think linguistically, obsessively, the Derrida's of the world, the, you know, the, 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 the Jean-Francois Lyotard's of the world. It's, it's just obsessing with, with language. And that we now have the legacy of that. Um, but I should say all of this stuff went out of fashion about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's just for some reason. Uh, it's it's, it's gone into the... And, and, and you've got those sort of you know the the worst kind of know nothing academics who are holding on to it and the reason they hold on to it is because if you believe in this belief system you don't have to do any reading you don't have to know anything you don't have to spend any time in the library all you do is read a few a few sort of of these textbooks these foundational texts and you're good to go well, it's why it really it really it makes me laugh when, when you hear that phrase educate yourself and the, the, the <laughs> activists always say educate yourself well they don't actually meet for a start they haven't read Foucault and Derrida they haven't read the things that they cite when they say educate yourself they mean read the one or two books they've ever read which are probably white fragility by robin d'angelo get, get white fragility on an audible free trial that's what they mean yeah or, or how to be an how to be an anti-racist by abraham max kendi they've basically got those two maybe the reniedo lodge book maybe an app what does the what does the x stand for in ibram kendi is it a name oh, he's changed his name to that. That, that that's not his birth name ibram uh, I, x kendi so it's that's i, I, I I can only assume it's an, it's an allusion to Malcolm X and to the practice of of, of, of black activists in the Black Power Movement oh. changing their name to to an X. I, I, that's, I, I don't know enough about him. Me neither. All, all I know is I don't like that book, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to read these books. I mean, this is the thing that bothers me. I, you know, he's just done one called Anti-Racist Baby. I don't know if you saw that. It's a, it's I've a, seen it's, it's a, gone out. Yeah. What is it like a pop up? Is it pop up book? It doesn't with people have in pop pointy hats. No, it doesn't have pop ups. It has. It's a thick. It's one of those. Um, it's aimed at very small kids. So it's one of those board big cardboard, books, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big, thick. So there's only about seven pages. It, you can read it in two minutes and it's, it's, wow. it's thick illustrated. And it's talking about how babies, <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's something like babies need to be able to confess their racism and all this sort of, you know, I mean, it's just hilarious. It's, it is funny. It really is. But, but these books, I mean, I, I keep getting them sent to me as well. And I, I there comes a point there's where they're gifts, just repeating there's curses. themselves. curses. I mean, is there anthrax in them? Like, what's yeah, going I on? think I feel like it's a curse. Um, but of course, I, I also know I have to read them because I, I can't be in the position of of, of talking about them and, and criticise them unless I'm familiar with them. And I'm, I, you know, I read more of that stuff than the stuff I would like to read. Or having said that, I'm in Italy and I've been reading some more interesting th just things that are not to do with it, mm. which is probably not what I should be doing, you know, at the moment. Entrench, entrench yourself in, yeah. Um, can you take us through what whiteness means? Okay, so the, the the notion of whiteness, I suppose the best way to to think about it is a system of power, right? So it's, um, and this is coming from critical race. This is the phrase that they always use, whiteness. It's been analogized with the concept, with the Augustinian idea of original sin. Uh, it doesn't actually specifically pertain to, well, it, there's an ambiguity. It doesn't specifically pertain to the color of your skin, the whiteness, it, it more pertains to a complicity in a system of whiteness, a system of oppression on the basis of race, right? So for this is why, for instance, very confusingly, when there was that story in America, when the uh, the the, uh, the Asian boys, I think one of them urinated on a black schoolgirl and, and, and attacked them, it was a kind of a, a, a sort of, it was a horrible attack. Okay. Um, they were described because they weren't white, perpetrators they were described as enacting whiteness in other words whiteness is a way that you oppress people of color uh, a system of oppression and that you don't necessarily therefore have to be white you could be you could be white adjacent which is the phrase that <laughs> i 
I started using <laughs> last year as a joke through Titania, and now people are using it. And I started thinking, did I invent this? But I probably didn't. I, it probably was just there in the ether. You know, it, it, it's, it's because undiscovered knowledge. Yeah, I mean, you can because you can anticipate this stuff. You can't. That's the that's the problem. And and because fascist adjacent had become so popular, I just thought I'll start calling black people who don't have who are conservative say white adjacent as a joke. And now I'm actually seeing it everywhere, and it's really bothering me. And I I want to work out if I did invent that. I hope so. Um, but yeah, so that's what whiteness. So therefore, to give an, another example, um, and of course, there's all sorts of books and tracts written about whiteness and 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 trying to. Uh, give it the illusion that this is something that is thought through and 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 it's, sophisticated, it's sophisticated, and it's it's too it, it, you know they load it with this jargon in order to give the impression that it's too complicated for you to understand. So you better just accept, hand it accept over it. to us. You made you made right. the analogy that um uh, the same reason as to why the church didn't want the Bible translated into common parlance back in the Middle right. Ages. It's why they burnt Tyndall at stake, because you translate the Bible, it means that they all of a sudden the power is 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 devolved to the masses. It means they can interpret scripture for themselves. And that matters. You know, you don't have you can't just say, well, you can't have a priest just say, well, you've got to do what I say, because I'm the only one who can read the sacred texts. You know, and that is the equivalent of what's happening here. So the academics are saying, well, and you see all the time when people get into when you, your average person gets into an argument with one of these crazy academics on Twitter, they'll say, well, actually, I'm an expert in this. And they'll throw all this jargon down and they'll frighten people away. Uh, and if you know, actually, don't worry about it because they're talking bollocks. They really are. <laughs> All this comes from is is these these things are slogans that 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 are used instead of serious thought processes, and they are they're not to be taken seriously. So don't worry about it. Just get them. Also, you should remind them that if they're unable to express their point with any degree of clarity, they're not expressing their point well. That's that's the other thing. It's but the mark of back, a. What is it? It's, it's the mark of a genius to explain a complex thing in a simple way. Is the mark of a charlatan to explain a complex, a, a simple thing in a complex way. Very nice. Did you just come up with that? No, I found it on Twitter probably, but <laughs> yeah. not not in your well. It's, so yeah, you were saying another, exactly another example right. of whiteness. Well, just to give another example of, of the of the way in which uh, the social justice people and the critical race people play on these ambiguities is that, that they can say that all white people are complicit in whiteness by virtue of the color of their skin. And they can also say that people who are non-white are also complicit in the system if they if they are not actively anti-racist. Remember, for these people, it isn't the dichotomy of racist or not racist, because if you're not racist, that's another form of racism. The dichotomy is actually racist or anti-racist, which means you are proactively uh, uh, conceding your own complicity in these systems and and attempting to decolonize these systems, right? So it's not good enough just not to be a racist person, to be good, to be a good person who who doesn't ever say or do or support anything racist. That's not enough. You've got to be an anti-racist, right? So you've got all that going on, and then but then they will play on it and make it racial. So then you've got like the resisting whiteness uh, conference that was at Edinburgh University, where they said explicitly that in the Q&A section at the end, white people were not allowed to put their hands up and ask questions. So, well, in that case, you are making whiteness explicitly about skin color. And in that circumstances, what do you do if you're mixed race? Can you speak in a low sort how of much, whisper? How much whiteness are you allowed to yeah, have? Yeah, do, like, do you get like half a question or, or uh, you know, how do, how do we, and also we're all mongrels of various races. So how much do you get to speak? Do I have to have a DNA test to decide how much I can speak? So on the one hand, they like the fact that it alludes specifically to race and skin color. And on the other hand, they will deny that it does and that race is a social construct and all the rest of it. So it plays on the ambiguity. It plays on it. It's in the same way that they 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 play on the idea of, of social justice and liberalism and, and they play on people's good natures and good intentions in, in order to get what they want. I think it's absolutely, it's absolutely ghastly. So you can have, for instance, uh, academics who talk about how uh, whiteness is evil and we must abolish whiteness, as we've seen from a number of I think there was a Cambridge academic who said exactly that. But of course, what she's doing is she's, she's enjoying the fact that she can have a, a pop at white people. But then she can defend herself by saying, yes, but when I say whiteness, I'm talking about this oppressive system that I've sort of, that I believe in, this magical system that, that we all us fellow academics talk about amongst ourselves. So you can have it both ways. Um, it's, it's really, it's Isn't really it like, bad. It's like the, the old school um, closet racist comedian that would make overtly racist jokes and then say, just a joke, mate. I'm only, I'm, 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 right, only, exactly. I'm, I'm only joking. Or the same as the, the guy who is vehemently anti-gay. But if you watch put put some gay porn in front of him and stick him in front of an mri he's got much more of an arousal response than anybody else in the room right exactly like the lady exactly. doth protest oldest, too much oldest trick in the book isn't it the, the, the bullies always used to say it's just a joke you know and that's and and 
of course, real comedians think through their jokes carefully and decide whether or not they are justified or not. And and so, yeah, that absolutely. It's a, it's a it's a it's a good analogy actually. It's good, Chris. Did you see? Thank you, Matt. I'm just loading <laughs> the flattery on today. I feel great. Um, did you see <laughs> the the gym? I think in Portsmouth had done. I did see the gym. The the a twelve the, years a slave uh, course. Yes, because yeah. because. Being a slave Again, was like a joke, didn't it? Being that a slave a was hard, and so is this workout. That's a quote. Yeah, I mean, being a slave is hard, um, and, and I'm sure working out, as you know more than most people, is is tough. Uh, it's not the same, though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I did wonder about that whether that was some sort of joke. Uh, turns out it's not. No, no really, it, sadly it's, not. It's just it's just horribly misjudged. Well, look. People are going to make these uh, poor judgments at the moment because the whole discourse is so crazy, uh, and and I, I imagine that was actually quite well intentioned. What well, so you know, th- I- this is this is something else that I brought up with Douglas that I'd had this conversation with Carl Benjamin Sargon, and um I got so nervous during the process of talking about it was slap bang when Chad was happening, so like peak race tensions. Yeah, yeah. And I got so nervous not knowing what I was supposed to say, not knowing what was and wasn't acceptable speech. And I'm someone who does this every single night, like four or five nights a week, I have a conversation about this. So my ability to deploy precise speech should at least be better than the layperson. And I was nervous during the day before this ambient anxiety. Then after it had happened, I was listening back to it. Oh, should I have, would I have, could I have said that a little bit more? Of course. And because because we are living in this, in this culture where people will pick apart and you can misspeak. If you misspeak even slightly, it can be used as ammunition against you. It's, it's it is what we call cancel culture, which does exist no matter what Omen Jones claims. And the problem is that you, you, you know, you, everyone's worried about what they say. Now, actually, being concerned about what you say and trying to aim for precise speech is a good quality. It's something that we should all do, but but we should all there should also be a recognition that all of us will not always express precisely what we mean because we're human beings and we make mistakes. And also, particularly when we're dealing with such sensitive issues and complicated issues, we should have the freedom to make mistakes. I think it's very liberating to just not care, to just think I am going to make mistakes sometimes. And if if I do make a mistake, I'll just say, well, I made a mistake. That's not quite what I meant. Um, and even though you've got these kind of retributive, unforgiving armies of activists out there who will use this against you, just ignore them. Just do that. The, the publish and be damned idea. You know, just just I, I, I've made a mistake. I've said it. I'm not going to apologize anymore about this. In fact, don't even apologize to them. Just say, you know, well, OK, that this was a conversation we had. Something was someone misspoke. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. We're trying ideas out. We're trying to thrash through these very complex thoughts. Um, and if you can't accept that human beings don't speak like robots, uh, then you're not really a human being at all. I learned this year for the first time from Ben Shapiro the term semantic overload. Are you familiar with this? Well, I, I can work out what it means from the, the so meaning it of was, it. So it was, yeah, and um, he bas- he's been using it to describe the words Black Lives Matter. And right. that semantically overloaded, it can be multiple things at once. It's this yeah, thing okay, when I we see. want it to be, are you against Black Lives Matter? Well, it's very difficult to say that without sounding like you hate black people. So it's it's a, it's back to the anti-racism idea. It's it's something that can have more than one meaning. And certainly uh, it's a very clever rhetorical trope because, of course, as you say, you cannot disagree with the phrase Black Lives Matter. No one would. This is the weird thing about it that, you know, People making using that hashtag and that expression because they believe that unless they do use that expression, we're going to assume they don't believe that Black Lives Matter. It's, it's similar to, I mean, this just goes to show how much things have escalated so quickly, right? There was a thing about five or six years ago where people started wearing safety pins as a gesture to show that they weren't racist. It was it was a very short-lived thing, right? So you Google it, and you're, I'm, not, I'm not making it up, and, yeah. and it got ridiculed by everyone, including people on the social justice side, because, I, because of course the default assumption in a society like ours is that people aren't racist, right? So if you're wearing a, a safety pin and saying that anyone who isn't must be a racist, but it's absurd, right? Yeah, yeah. But we are, we are now in safety pin world, where basically, unless you're saying Black Lives Matter, you assume that Black Lives do not matter. Well, that's not true. I still stand by the point that anyone who, any decent civilized person will obviously believe that Black Lives Matter. It's going to, you know, you should never assume that someone doesn't believe that unless there is incontrovertible evidence that they don't. But that's the problem. It goes back to the critical race theory idea that racism is present in every 
possible human interaction. They don't ask, was this situation racist? They ask, how did racism manifest itself in that situation? And that is the problem. So in other words, the entirety of society is underpinned by racism. It's such a bleak, nihilistic worldview. It's it's so horrible. So yes, semantic overload, when so I suppose something that can have multiple meanings. And and certainly are you to, when you talk about Black Lives Matter, are you talking about the the uh, group? Are you talking about uh, the concept? Well, I would suggest now, whenever I hear someone using that phrase, I'm always going to assume you talk about the group, because why would you make the statement? Have you we know, all know have, that. Have you noticed now that people are starting to use Black Lives Matter and BLM? They, they've bifurcated. The, yes. Well, that's the way that's I think that started early on as a, as a way to get around it, because we, we need to be able to criticize BLM, because as a movement, it has all sorts of ludicrous aspects to it. For instance, it's belief that we should dismantle cisgender privilege or uh, attack the Western uh, nuclear family or... or All of which it, it perfectly push forward the benefit and the well-being of black people. Well, look at their, their, their intention to defund the police as well. I mean, look, which, which of course would affect uh, areas that are working class and, uh, you know, and there is a high proportion of, of black and, and ethnic minority people in working class areas. It's not going to do them any favor. So this stuff, yeah, exactly. I don't think dismantling cisgender privilege is something that's going to go down too well in certain black communities. I, I, I would, I would suggest. Okay. Um, well, I mean, if you know anything about the history of of of, of black gay people, they they have had it tough in, in this country from in their in their communities because of cultural issues, religious issues, and all sorts of things. I don't think dismantling cisgender privilege is going to go down well. So you're you're right. BLM, and of course, by saying BLM, you're avoiding having to say. I oppose Black Lives Matter. You can say I oppose BLM, right? And, and and I think lots of people do. I think the idea of demolishing capitalism, right? I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with. I don't understand why schools across the country, schools like Eton, are putting out statements in support of Black Lives Matter, private schools, right? When if you took the Black Lives Matter agenda and applied it to society, Eton would be raised to the ground. It wouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> because it charges extortionate rates. It is the hub and training ground and cradle of capitalism, right? So to have them support a, a movement that wants to see them abolished is utterly retarded, right? <laughs> and and I know I'm not meant to use that word. I'm using that word in its literal meaning of to go backwards before you start complaining. Yeah. But you see, even I'm doing it now. Even I'm worried about what so I'm this saying. So this is the thing, that semantic overload in this... It's even tropey now to say, oh, it's so, it's so 1984, isn't it? You know, Orwell or, or prophesized all of this. I'm like, I'm so bored. So, so bored. And I can't imagine what it's like for you who's further entrenched, you know, really, really sort of swimming through the muck and the, the feces and the blood and the straw and yeah. just desperately trying to get out the other side. So, yeah, it's... um, it, it's Yeah, it's it's... What can you say? It's depressing. Do you not get depressed by this? I mean, I massively, man. This is I, this is I, why I, like... I I brought it up with with Douglas as well. I was like, mate, I want to know what you've got to say about how to lead a good life, about what it means yeah. to have human flourishing and fulfillment. I want you to dip into your bottomless back catalogue of literature and and understanding of how you know the Renaissance and the, the Enlightenment and all this. So that's what I want to learn from Douglas yeah. Murray. I don't want him to write fucking madness of crowds like you know wonderful book and the the titani mcgrath stuff that you do is fantastic but as he brings up like when the barbarians are at the door we'll be debating about what gender they are whilst we get kalashnikov in the head right and See, this is it i, I want to be able to do other things but i mean i like so i love it when i get to write an article about something that has absolutely nothing to do with this you know and and that's that's always good fun uh, and, you know, obviously, because I write other things, I write plays, I write musicals, I do all of those things. And and I'm still doing that. You know, I've just finished a new musical. But you just it does dominate, unfortunately. And the reason it does dominate, as you pointed out and as Douglas has pointed out, uh, unfortunately, unless we uh, unless we win this, um, nothing else will matter anyway. So actually, it is quite important. Here's what else I think. Another reason that I think um, you guys are so compelled to do it and james Lindsay's a really good example of this it's a man with a phd mm. in pure mathematics like, yeah james mate you should be getting us to mars not doing fake <laughs> intersectional studies on know, on I on, on like uh, dog parks but what i think it is is a little bit like a more incredulous version of tiktok for academics 
Right. Like, imagine what TikTok must be like for a 13-year-old. You just can't stop watching it. It's so compelling, yeah, yeah. but there's a layer of indignation as well because it's self-contradictory and the hypocrisy's there and we need to... There's a level of virtue as well, as you've said. We need to win this war, so on and so forth. But I really yeah. do think that it is the um, low-hanging fruit, like woke bashing is kind of the low-hanging fruit that constantly, I can't believe that they've done this again, and then there's a new one, and there's a new one, and there's a new one. And there's a, a woman in a, a khaki one-piece with yeah. her PayPal address up on a whiteboard telling everyone in the room that, that they're racist. And you know sure. what I mean? And, and, and of course, the risk is always that you're going to focus on the more extreme uh, manifestations of this phenomenon. And that, that, is, that is a risk. But the... And if it were just that, I wouldn't care, honestly. If it was just a few nutcases doing their thing, I wouldn't care. It is not that. It is not that. It is it is institutional capture. That's what's happened. So that does matter. It matters because these are the people who make our laws. These are the people who will arrest you for, quote unquote, hate speech. These are the people who will educate your children. These are the people who will get who will, who will decide whether or not you are eligible for a degree or not based on how on your on your fealty to a particular religion, basically. So that is, a, a, it is in that sense, a civilizational threat. And in that sense, it needs to be, it needs to be countered. It isn't uh, the idiots on Twitter with the pronouns in their bios who are just shouting insults at absolutely everyone. Um, you can just block them and move on. And, you know, they, they, they have limited power. Uh, but the, the, the people who have, who have, uh, attained such a, a sort of uh, such clout in things like the civil service in things like the quangos um you know that's a, in the government even in parliament you know these people have clout as i say they have power and they need to it needs to be addressed because it has an impact on all of us whether we like it or not so you know i, I mean i did i wrote an article this week actually about this which was on spiked which talks about this problem of the culture war is that there really there are two versions of the culture war out there and i call it the tabloid version and the substantial version for want of a better term insofar as the tabloid version is like snowflakes and and anti-snowflakes and cucks and uh, <laughs> uh you know the libtards and all the rest <laughs> yeah. of it right so you get you get all that going on right now i don't engage in any of that business i don't call people snowflakes i don't call people libtards i'm not interested in any <laughs> of that stuff right i don't want to own the libs because i consider myself a lib <laughs> right um so all of that stuff I don't get involved in. But then there's the substantial version of the culture war, which is what it really is. And the culture war, what it really is, is a, 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 a view of society where you value liberty or you value authority. It's liberalism against authoritarianism. And that's, that's the culture war. But the problem is that by pushing back against these really important issues, legitimate grievances where you're saying the state shouldn't be overreaching to police what people say, right? You're pushing back on that stuff. And then you get mischaracterized by people who play on that ambiguity and say, oh, you're one of these snowflake bashing uh, culture warriors. No, we are critical of the culture of that kind of culture war and want to hasten its demise. That's not the same thing, right? Uh, we are critical of those things. What we're actually concerned about is the soft authoritarianism of the social justice ideology which does require a serious pushback so people have to be very careful don't let them do this don't let them say oh you're just another pc gone mad brigade type of person you're just like notice how i put in a stupid voice when i, when I <laughs> embody such yeah you people. really did but it, but, it is it. A form, but it is a form of stupidity and and don't let it happen these are things that we need to address uh, and we need to do so seriously and collectively. Uh, and we shouldn't be put off by people trying to mischaracterize what we do uh, as being this tabloid version of the culture war, which isn't really what it is. The left has won the culture war, and now they're just driving around shooting the survivors. That's a quote. Who says that? Naval, that? Naval Ravikant, uh, who's an right. angel, angel investor from America. But the left has won the culture war, and now they're just driving around shooting the survivors. Holy shit, if that's so, not true. <laughs> well, uh, it's difficult. And again, we get back to the slipperiness of language insofar as I do not believe that woke activists are left wing in the slightest uh, because they are not remotely concerned with economic inequality or class inequality, which is at the heart of what it means to be left wing. It's a very bourgeois movement, the woke movement. And so therefore, it's, it's, it's not really, uh, it's no surprise really that it's the more elitist universities where the posher kids tend to go 
that have more problems of this kind. Because, of course, if you can't afford anything, you're not going to be interested about whether or not you've been misgendered, <laughs> right? Are you? You're going to be interested about where you get your next plate of food from. So that's that's so, so it's very difficult. But but we have to say, I mean, where I get into this all the time. Am I left wing? Am I right wing? What the hell am I anymore? Because people on the left hate me so much now. And that's because I believe uh, the left has shifted to such a degree that it has become obsessed with identity politics. Well, the Overton window, the Overton window of what is centrist left right all of that has been i just don't buy into ideology full stop and that's why i feel perfectly comfortable in saying uh this right wing some say someone like roger scruton has some excellent points about certain things and there are some things i don't agree with him on i don't need to be the sort of person who thinks well he's a right wing person so if i'm on the right i have to agree with everything he said or or tony ben is a left wing person so i must agree with everything tony ben says right because that means you're letting someone else doing your thinking for you i think there are good elements there are impressive thinkers on the left and the right and everywhere in between and and we should be able to to uh, select and and consider uh, which elements are good and which elements are bad or which elements we agree with and which we don't and it and, and that does not mean that you suddenly become uh, left or right wing. The problem is, of course, that, as you know, the idea of being conservative or right wing has just become a slur. It doesn't really mean anything. I actually don't think I've stopped even worrying about left or right. Everyone thinks I'm right. Some people think I'm far right. Some people think I'm extreme Marxist left. I'm getting that a lot. I get trolled by alt right people. I'm also called alt right, by the way, but the actual alt right absolutely hate me and troll me. And they call me a Marxist or a communist. And then, like, so no one knows what the fuck I am. To the extent I don't even know what the fuck I am, it's fine. Doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, forget it. Well, I mean, that was the, again that loops back to the challenge I had when speaking to Carl. That I was like, yeah. I don't know. The goalposts are moving so quickly that I thought I was playing chess, and now I'm playing rugby. Like, right. the, the, the whole, all the rules of the game are now out of the window, and I haven't got a clue yeah. what's going on. Um, did you see the <laughs> when Durham University went back? Did you see that a group of freshers had created a group Snapchat chat? And yeah. we're playing a game of who could sleep with the poorest fresher. Okay, I, I, that doesn't surprise me. But that so that is that's proper right versus left stuff. All about class equality, all well, to do class, with that, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That so that and I just I was it, it went sort of semi-viral up here in the northeast of England. Um, group chat of freshers saying, yeah. "Can we have a?" You know, it used to be like pull a pig back in university, but yeah, apparently, that's... if you go to Durham or perhaps like one of the other red bricks now it's who can sleep with the poorest fresher which is like it goes back to the old Bullingdon club thing of the initiation ceremony included burning a 50 pound note in front of a homeless person that kind of thing yeah I mean obviously obviously this uh you know that's that that is yeah you could say that's a class-based issue isn't it that's not good what's what's your prediction for the end state of all of this activism is it inherently self-contradictory and splintered into groups that don't agree to the point where it's going to eat its own tail it is self-contradictory but it embraces the contradictions and that's why it's impossible to reason with it and that goes right back to the postmodernists as well and you know someone like derrida who who was very playful uh, and self-contradictory so often deliberately so and that that means that actually it's sort of built into their system it doesn't matter that they have contradictory thoughts and they can hold those contradictory thoughts at the same time uh, it, it it really doesn't, you know. It doesn't matter that they will say uh, that that. Uh, well, to give the example of the, the to go back to the trans example, you know, that they they say gender is completely a social construct except for trans people who are born in the wrong body. It doesn't matter that that can't that doesn't make any sense because they've just, they they can do that. Whereas everyone else relies on the idea of rationality and rational thought. But the problem is that they would perceive that to be a sort of heterosexual patriarchal construct. So, you know, you're back to square one. So, so what's, what's going to happen? We, we, we roll this forward. Well, what's the end state? What do you foresee? Uh, Look into the crystal ball, Andrew, and tell us what you see. Yeah, you know, whenever I do this, I get it wrong, though. I, uh, well, there's a lot at stake. So I think, well, ultimately, it's going to go one, one of two ways, isn't it? Other, I, I can't envisage that this can just rumble on as it is anymore. I think there were a lot of people who were sort of saying before the explosion this year, of 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 the culture war there are a lot of people who are just saying this will always be the way there will always be the sort of extreme culture warriors pushing their agenda and most people will just gently push back and and we'll we'll constantly be having these these spats and these disputes i don't think we can say that anymore i think one side is going to have to win out uh so if the if the culture warriors win out if the social justice left or the identitarian left or whatever the fuck you want to call them win out we will be living 
in a under a form of authoritarianism right where people are not allowed to say certain things will literally be arrested for saying the wrong thing and and it will be uh, uh, very scary and dangerous education will be decolonized to the point where it won't mean anything anymore uh artifacts from the past monuments from the past a recognition of history will be swept away um and we're already seeing that happening but not as i say not in a crisis point you know it, it, it's important not to inflate these things you know i don't agree with mobs deciding which statues stay up and which don't right but ultimately that statue of edward, edward colston you know i don't think they should have been able to just arbitrarily decide and tear it down but it doesn't uh, amount to a crisis it doesn't amount you know we're not talking about as you said the orwellian principle of literally revising history throwing things down the memory hole yet and that's the qualifier is that the problem is that these are the seeds of that and you have to be vigilant against this stuff and particularly when it comes to free speech uh, you have to be incredibly vigilant it's not something that that is the default of any given society it's something that has to be fought for with each successive generation and people need to be reminded of the validity of it and the importance of it um so i think if for instance a government were to get in that was uh, identity obsessed as the current labor party is um but they had maybe a more zealous identitarian leader uh, i mean keir starmer wouldn't be that person as it happens i know he sort of toys with it a little bit but he wouldn't be that sort of extreme zealot uh, identitarian type if you had a government like that then you have a very dangerous situation and you have a society that is going to go backwards very very quickly um or the alternative is that we, we reach the point where what i'm hoping is in about 15 20 years time we will have restored the idea of liberal values and free speech and everyone will just go back to just accepting that yes that's that's the default that's what we should be having and they'll almost look back at these years as like what happened there there was a kind of hysteria there was a kind of weird mm. mania that happened and and they'll probably say but it was it wasn't really a big deal was it because it just sort of went away and it was fine so but of course it only it only went away because people like us are pushing back against it, but we will be considered the nutcases. Like, why are we even worried about it? It just went. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what's going to happen. I think, I fear so, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I think, I think that that really um, dovetails quite nicely with something I've been thinking about this year, which is I've been reading a lot of existential threats and existential risk work like Toby Ords, which is what prompted my concern to do with the academics and the low hanging fruit and the TikTok. And um, this year, we got a pandemic. It's been anyone who's looked at existential risk or anything coming out of the Future of Humanities Institute knew that this is one of the big ones. The control problem for artificial general intelligence is another one of them. But we got delivered, touch wood, we got delivered such a like piss weak pathogen. The mortality yeah. rate on it is it's just not the incubation period and the transmittability are all okay ish the r number could be you know if i was designing it one to end the human race the r number might be a little bit higher and the incubation yeah. period where you're asymptomatic also might be a little bit longer um but we got delivered here's a here's the beta test here's the demo yeah, version exactly of I, what, I know what you mean what happens and maybe this is the ideological conceptual equivalent where we're, people are trying to hijack all of the institutions that mean the most like um education like chil chi children education higher education the arts popular culture politics all of that stuff but they did it with the marxists that some people speculate are the conspiratorial pushers of this that are in the background that are the trojan horse that this particular yeah. I um, ideology is trying to deliver they chose they got on the wrong horse they chose to get into the wrong thing and it was just so inherently ridiculous that we are now inoculated in the future moving maybe. forward maybe i hope so i think you might there might be something to that insofar as i suppose the analogy is if if we have a much more serious pandemic we'll be better prepared for it because yes. we've lived through this and similarly with the social justice stuff maybe i don't know a bit but but the but the problem is that they're pretty well ingrained in these institutions now it, this isn't something it feels like it's just happened overnight but it hasn't it's been percolating for decades yeah, yeah. yeah so so it's it is about and again i don't think the response is do we do we have a long march in the, through the institutions the other way the, do the liberals find a way to infiltrate um I, I don't know if that's the right approach either but it's it's going to take an awful lot to undo but yes i think that that could be the case that that enough people are now pushing back on this stuff uh that that when the big wave comes maybe we'll i think so we'll, we'll uh, be less tolerant of it maybe. yeah precisely you know um, because actually this has only really happened 
not so much because of the screaming activists. It's not really them. It's not the people with pink hair screeching and setting off fire alarms. It's the people capitulating to them. That's the problem. You see, what should happen? Like, let's give an example. The RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, uh, issued a statement saying that they are systemically racist and institutional, as everyone is saying at the moment, uh, which begs the question, why would anyone want to go there? You know, I'm not I, I, I'm going to support a racist institution. I, I really love the fact that Princeton made that confession and was then investigated by the Department of Education because, of course, racism is illegal, by the way. So, you know, I don't trust it. I don't trust it when I see companies saying, yeah, we're working hard to dismantle our white supremacy. I'm like, why are you telling me you're a white supremacist organization? If Same you don't freeze. really believe. You don't, Sainsbury's, right? If Sainsbury's is white supremacist, I'm going to Waitrose. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just not having this. Like, But you were educated they, at Oxford, Andrew, so it would only ever be between Waitrose and Marks and Spencer's, right? I know. I'm, I quite like Lidl. What, Lidl has good wines, by the way. Don't let anyone tell you different. Fine. So listen, I, 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 I would suggest, because they, they don't really mean it, do they? There's no way that Sainsbury's think they're a racist organisation. Of course they don't mean that. <laughs> so don't say it, you utter idiots. Don't say it, right? So... <laughs> I can't remember what, what, what my train of thought on this was. I can't even remember. Oh, so, RADA, right. So here's the example, right? Yeah. So RADA's statement that they were, and then, of course, this, this ennobled all of these crazy students, and not all of them, but just a few, to write a hundred-page document of demands saying what, how they need to decolonize RADA. hundred pages, I'm not kidding, right? It's online. You can, you can feel it. It is the most insane, unhinged document I've seen for an awful long time. It is so entitled. It reeks of entitlement. It's like we, we get to decide absolutely everything. We believe in these power structures. Everything is racist. You're institutionally racist. Everything, you know, it's absolutely insane. It's like the, it's like the ravings of a madman. It's, it's, it's like Jack Nicholson in The Shining writing all those pages of the same sentence over and over again because that's what it is. It's the same demand phrased in different ways a million fucking times. So there's that going on. Right. And, and the response to that should have been that the heads of RADA should have said, thank you for your concerns. You're perfectly free to leave because we're not going to capitulate to your demands. Bye bye. Bye. Go and do your crazy shit elsewhere. Right. Because we've got to teach people how to play Yago or whatever. Right. So <laughs> that's what people should be doing. Right. But what they don't what they do is they say, oh, absolutely. They bow down. They say because they don't want they don't want the scandal. They don't want the Twitter storm. They don't want they, So they capitulate. They capitulate. So capitulation is the problem, not the activists themselves, because the activists are always a minority. There's, there's not many of them. But now they know they can get their way just by so they're like toddlers. If you screech enough, they get their way. Right. You've got to be disciplined with toddlers. You've got to smack them around the head and say, no, actually, no, don't. Don't see that again. I, look, I could get in trouble for that. I know. I'm going to stick by that. Andy, I'm stand, no, I'm stand and, by that. Andy Node. Final. Beat, beat up your children. Beat them up. Hit them. Yeah, hit I'm, them. I'm with, sticking with that. Hit them with uh, <laughs> anti-racist baby. Hit them with anti a copy of anti-racist baby. That's because right, it's hard. Yeah, it's a thick board book. You yeah. could do some real damage to I a toddler. Please do not. Obviously, we're joking. Uh, final question. Oh, wait, would you get demonetized if you leave this bit in? No, not at all. I don't. I, I, <laughs> I, I managed to get. I, I have no idea what YouTube. YouTube loves me at the moment, but I managed to get um, Sargon of a Clad comments on the media's view of blackface monetized. Brilliant. And that was monetized. Brilliant. It's quite, it's quite inconsistent, isn't it? I mean, even though we were just joking about hitting a child with the book, if you wanted to, and if you were of a certain mindset, you could take that literally. Because let's face it, the, the, the social justice lot aren't very good at humour and working out when you're not being... It, and that wasn't even satire. That was just being flippant and stupid, right? But, the, but they, can they can choose to take a, a stupid comment literally. The problem is that human interaction is full of stupid comments. That's part of the fun. You know, it, we shouldn't have to worry about saying something that, that, that might offend someone. You know, it's it's it, and, and I have to say the YouTubes of the world, the Facebooks, the Googles, they're not they're not good at this, you know. But you, if you've escaped the demonetization, then good for you. So far, I know a lot of so people far. Who, who have very few have no controversial elements. You know, didn't they even demonetize? I think YouTube demonetized Diamond and Silk, who were Trump supporters. But they're just the two black women who are, are, are in effect, they never swear. They never even swear. They don't say anything. They just have political views that the social tech giants don't like, and they demonetize. It's outrageous. You know? Dangerous, man. Anyway. Final, final yeah. question. Who is going okay. to win the 2020 election? Either way, we are in trouble, uh, because either, either Victor will, will make the culture war worse, not better, right? And the reason for that is Biden has completely bought into identity politics, 100%, and is allowing himself to be guided in that way. And Donald Trump also has his version of identity politics, uh, and uh, which is the sort of more sort of nationalism style uh, version, and is not, let's face it, 
uh, particularly well uh, equipped to, to deal with this kind of crisis, right? He tends to inflame things rather than make them better. You know, fundamentally, uh, Donald Trump likes people who like him and dislikes people who don't like him. So, uh, and everyone knows this, it, it comes back to this this essential narcissism. Watching those two debate was the, one of the most depressing things I've, I've, I've ever seen. Neither of them are, are equipped to be president. And um, I just, I don't think either side is going to quieten down because if Trump wins, then the social justice group will take that as further evidence that they live in a neo-fascist society. And if if, if Biden wins, then I, I suppose they will be emboldened to 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 persist with these kind of demands such as the students at RADA make and to, to reshape society according to the, the principles of their faith. Uh, so either way, we are fucked. Have you got a prediction? Do you think, can you, I, I know that you, it's not your special, your special think, area, but what do you think? I think Biden is going to win. I think, um, I, 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 for a long time, I thought Trump was, I'm, I'm sure that Trump would have won were it not for coronavirus. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure because the economy was doing so well. Uh, and because the, it, it just didn't seem as though, I, I, I think though his handling of the coronavirus combined with this kind of general fatigue with his, uh, his behavior and the way that he tweets he needs to get off twitter you know if he wants Very to win he has so. to yeah it's um, um if if the election was about trump versus if it was just a, a personality contest on biden if that was the competition yeah. on biden biden would lose but sadly trump continues to make it about himself which i think is inherently yeah. dangerous because his personality rubs people up even his own support is the wrong way oh, it does i mean biden has no charisma whatsoever but then but then trump uh, it, you know, is not let's put it delicately, is not statesman statesmanlike. Is yeah. he? You know, it, it, and no I one can just, no one can have looked at the debate that they had I, the other week yeah. and say that that was a presidential way to conduct yourself. Well, I wouldn't be able to vote for either of them, uh, but luckily I'm not in that position of having to make a choice. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, I don't. Know, I think I think you're right. I think at the beginning of 2020, it would have been Trump to continue, um, yeah. especially given that all of the the harbingers of the apocalypse that everyone had predicted were going to occur in 2016 didn't happen. And he did some good stuff. Uh, he did some good stuff with the Middle East. Like that was only this year, I think when, when he, you know, decided... Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a major deal that the, 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 uh, the, the left wing media are not covering at all. They're staying well, well, clearly that's quite an astonishing, uh, unbelievable. Actually. But yeah, yeah. you know, so all of the stuff that was supposed to happen didn't happen and the economy yeah. was doing good. And I think it was, was it black schooling? That he'd contributed yeah. more money to than any other president ever, They're, including look, the only black one. It's not about that anymore, is it? But this has become the culture war election, and uh, I'm afraid that's where we're at. By the way, my battery is about to go, and I don't have. In that a, case, we're going to we, we, we're going to we're going to leave it there. Um, Titania McGrath's little book of intersectional activism, linked in the show notes below, including some of her favourite characters from history and how you can uh, teach your children to. That is that that versus anti-racist baby. And that's you. Perfect. I think, I think, get, I think get to Tanya McGrath's book. Give that to your kids. That's the way to go. It, it, it's funny because a friend of mine, I sent it to a friend of mine and uh, it looks like a kid's book. And her husband thought it was for their four year old daughter and gave it to her. And she was delighted. And then, of course, she had to explain, actually, it's not for you. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Which is, which is heartbreaking. Take really. that back, little Susie. <laughs> Look, Andrew, man, yeah, thank true. you so much. Uh, Tanya McGrath's Twitter, your Twitter, everything else will be linked in the show notes below. Enjoy the remainder of the Am Amalfi Coast, mate. Thank you very much for having me. 